0: I'm your host. Out van with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools. us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's
1: 291-6901. And this is a perfect time to call. We got plenty of time the rest of the hour to get your questions answered thoroughly.
0: That's exactly right. Oftentimes people will call in right at the end of the show or even after we go off the air. Sure. And of course, the producer just has to tell them sorry, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so best time to call in is right now, early on in the show.
1: If you want a live,
0: personalized
1: answer. There you go. And if you should maybe happen to think of something after we go off the air at 11 o'clock or maybe next week at midnight, you can always go to your computer and log into our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on
0: in. That's right. Couldn't be easier. And I check that normally several times a day, just depending on where I am. During the week when I'm at work, I check it several times during the day. Mm Mm-hmm. Sometimes on the weekend, I may check it in the morning when I get up, and I may check it again in the afternoon before I go to bed. But right,
1: and even when you're on vacation, it gets checked right. at least once a day.
0: Yeah, once or twice. Generally, I try to check it first thing in the morning when I get up, and then in the afternoon when we come in or in, before we go to bed at night, I go uh-huh. check it again. And so it's generally never going to be more than 10 or 12 hours sure. uh, to get an answer back, and oftentimes much, much faster. If I happen to be sitting at the computer when it comes in, I may answer it immediately. (laughs) (laughs) It just, I can't promise that every time. There you go. Uh, Absolute best way to get an answer. Just go ahead and send that on in. Let's go to our phone lines with Lee. Good morning, Lee.
2: Yes, sir. I'm looking to purchase a 96 Caprice Classic with a 4.6 GM motor. Uh It's been sitting up about nine months. So outside of changing the oil and maybe replacing the plugs, what what else should I do to make it roadworthy? The tires are good.
0: Well, the biggest issue you're going to have, Lee, is the gasoline that's in it because that's going to be ethanol because that's all we've had in south Louisiana for many, many, many years. So ethanol will go through phase separation. That means the ethanol will separate from the gasoline in about three months, and this has been at least six months. So that gasoline is not going to be fit to use. And if you try to crank it up and run it, what's going to happen is all that sludge and stuff at the bottom of that tank is going to get forced into the fuel give you an endless amount of trouble. Okay. So what I would do before I even tried to start it is to remove the fuel tank, empty it, and get fresh gas and put in it. Clean the strainer and stuff on the pump and that sort of stuff. Wouldn't hurt to go ahead and replace the fuel filter as well while you're in there. And that may sound drastic, but I can tell you I've seen a million people do it the other way. Go ahead and crank it up, do this, do that, and do the other, and then start having one fuel system problem after another end up spending a $1,000 on injectors and regulators and on and on and on fuel pump because they ran this sludge through the system. So it's like so many other things. A lot of times the cheapest way out is the most expensive way in. I would go ahead and and have someone drop that tank, drain Mm -hmm. the tank, clean the pump, put fresh fuel in it. Then, of course, like you mentioned, change the oil in it. If the coolant has not been replaced in a long period of time, you might look at changing the coolant. Those brake, sorts of things. Brake fluid, yeah. Other, all the fluids on the car probably are going to be in pretty bad shape. If they've been sitting up that much.
1: Well, brake fluid absorbs moisture just by inheriting the way it's designed.
0: Yeah, it's made of alcohol, so, so it's, it's, it's made it
1: to absorb moisture. So you need to go ahead and get that flushed out of there too. Once you get the vehicle running and where you're able to drive it, I would go ahead and
0: do that also.
2: What if I siphon old gas out? you
0: probably won't be able to because most of those are going to have restrictors in that fuel nozzle where you – Stop you from stealing. To design, yeah, yeah, to stop you from stealing. And you probably – even if you could get something in there, you couldn't get enough of it out because the really bad stuff is going to be at the bottom of the tank. Right. In other words, when it goes through phase separation, the water and stuff starts to come out. Water is heavier than gasoline, so it goes to the bottom. The gas flows up to the top. What's left of the gas flows to the top. I tell you, I would do do yourself a big old favor. Just – when you figure out how much the car is going to cost you, you know, like mm-hmm. if it costs $4,000 just off the top of my head, just figure 4500 because it's going to cost you 500 to drop that tank. Get all that okay. clean that. Yeah. And that's just a number off the top of my head. But allow some money in to get that done. That's just part of the cost of the car.
2: Now, I used to have a GM truck with a
0: 350.
2: Yes, sir. And that's a 5.7. Now, is this 4.6 just as roadworthy as far as longevity? Because I got 300-plus thousand miles out of the 350.
1: That was one of the smaller V8s that GM made, and they put it, I think they strictly put it in that Caprice. Okay. It seems to be a decent engine. It's just got a lot smaller pistons in it than a 350 wood or 5.7. Is
0: is it actually a 4.6 or
1: a 4.3? Nah, I think it's a 4.6 because we've got one that comes into the shop all the time, and we pull the heads off of it, and the the pistons are I thought
0: it was 4.3 liter, though. V8. I know they make a four, 3, well, it doesn't cylinder matter. but yeah, it yeah, yeah, I still a Because I thought it was a 6-cylinder when I saw the number, and right. it is a V8. That was, like Brian said, it, that is a small block. That's the same basic engine as your 350 was in your truck. Okay. The exception is that is an LT1 version. Now, what the LT1 means is that it doesn't have a distributor in the back of the motor. It's got in the front underneath the water pump and stuff. Right. And okay. the coolant flows backwards through that engine. GM for whatever reason decided to make it where it was reverse flow engine and the coolant flows backwards, which gave them a few cooling system problems. In my experience, it's one of the only small blocks I've ever seen that has cooling system problems. That's it's the only small block I've ever seen blow a head gasket.
1: And they, I think, they dropped it shortly after designed it and got it put in the vehicles. Several years later, they just dropped it.
0: Right. Well, they took the concept and went to the 5.7 liter and the Corvettes and all that uh, mm-hmm. with the LT1 option. But it's not a bad vehicle. I mean, I've got a few of them that we still work on. As old as they are, we still see a few of them come through. One gentleman's got one. I don't know. He's got
2: two hundred and way over two hundred thousand yeah. miles on it. Okay, this one only has one hundred and forty-eight thousand, but yeah. it's just been sitting for a minute. Yeah, right.
0: I would probably go through and, like we said, drain the fuel out before you start, just to prevent other bigger problems. Mm-hmm. And
1: you know, with one hundred and forty-something thousand miles on it, and it's been sitting. You might do yourself a favor when you drop that fuel tank is go ahead and change that fuel pump. Yeah, just replace it, Because you're going to have it out anyway draining the tank. Right. Okay. It's pretty old anyway. Just make sure you get a Delco GM GM pump.
0: See, it's been sitting in sludge, too, so the odds of it failing are pretty good. One last thing, Lee, you might want to do is when you raise the hood, take the covers off the top of the motor and the breather and all off. Check and make sure you hadn't gotten any little rodents or anything in there that would leave droppings and build nests and all that. You want to get all that cleaned away because when a car sits, a lot of times mice, rats, squirrels will get up on top of that motor, drag straw and stuff, and you can have a fire hazard if if you don't clean all that out.
1: Not only that, but they'll eat the wiring, horn, and eat the wiring up, too. up
0: and all that. So be yeah. sure you go in and clean all that away, and, and okay. just generally look the car over and make sure you get all that cleaned up.
2: And one last thing. These motors were built before they went to the ethanol, so should I go and get me some 100% gas without ethanol and fill it up with that?
0: Well, it'll run on ethanol. It's got a plastic fuel tank. I mean, it's not going to run quite as well, but my problem with the stations that sell the non-ethanol fuel is for whatever reason, yeah, they're all off-brand and they're all little small stations, and I just don't know what the quantity of fuel they move. I would be more worried about Contaminated or dirty fuel than yes, I would sir. that ten percent ethanol. Yeah.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. All right, leave Thanks a right. call, man. Bye bye.
0: All right, two nine 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would absolutely love to have you. what's you going to give us? A call 291-6901. one sixty nine zero one. We'll take a quick little break and be right back with more. Travel my way, take the highway. Hi, folks. Lewis Alvesan here from Agco Automotive. This year, we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries.
3: Lewis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got
4: to
5: run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey,
0: I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here. 40 years. Wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good, homegrown Louisiana success story except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. you them up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. AGCO. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis and with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us, and if you got a question or a comment or anything you need to know, you just give us a call, 291-6901, and we're going back to our phone lines. Oop, I'm sorry. You
1: pushed the wrong button again? I did. I
0: did. I did. Uh-huh. Manson, I am sorry. If you would call right back, I'll put you straight up to the top of the list. I just accidentally hit that. Hit the, big, hit the wrong big, big red, red button, button <laughs> is just to <laughs> invite, you know? <laughs> I'm going to move this keyboard over closer to me there. That way I can see it. Mike's in my way. You, <laughs> yeah, okay. okay. The mic made me do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Manson, call right back, and I'll put you straight up the top of the list. I apologize for cutting you all I was driving in this morning from New Orleans, and it was raining oh, yeah. pretty hard. Nice
1: little storm come through last mm-hmm. night and early this morning.
0: And the first thing I noticed is the number of cars – Slid into embankments, slid In into the— Right. Yeah, they've got those wire cables, I guess you'd call them, uh-huh. between the thing. And I must have seen four or five of those where cars have smashed into them. Wow. And I'm just thinking to myself how happy I am that i got good windshield wipers. And a and good and set <laughs> of tires. A good set of tires on my car. Sure. <laughs> so that I'm not doing those kinds of things. And I thought we would talk a little bit about safety in wet weather and okay. that sort of thing and, and getting your car ready for that as soon as we take care of this phone call. <laughs> we got Manson on the line. Good morning, Manson.
3: Hey, how you doing? Doing man? great, sir. Good morning. I have a question about a car. Okay. I wanted to know, can I pressure watch my engine, get all the oil off there without hurting anything?
0: Manson, that is a real bad idea on any kind of a modern car. Reason being, there are virtually dozens, if not hundreds, of little connections and stuff under that hood. And they are sealed against moisture, but they're not sealed against a pressure washer. And what happens very, very often, we'll get people, we'll try to wash their engine, and one of two things happens. Either it won't start when they get through and they got to tow it to us, Or maybe it starts and runs fine, but then six months later, two months later, a month later, it starts dying on them, and nobody can figure out why because some water has gotten into one of those five-volt references and shorted it out and corroded it. and They start having all kinds of issues. I just don't think you're going to gain enough benefit for the potential problems you're going to create. Now, if you want to clean it, a much better plan, and I know this is not nearly as inviting as just getting a pressure washer and getting under there, but... Just get a, a bucket of some kind of solvent, be it like gunk or engine cleaner or Varsol or whatever. Get you some good rubber gloves, a towel, and just go in there and start wiping it away and just wipe it off. Put some clean, wipe it off until you get it cleaned up like you want. I know that is much, much more labor-intensive and a lot of mess, but that is far, far safer. If just one little drop of water gets into one wrong connection, it's just going to make your life a living hell thereafter. I can tell you, I've seen it so many times. I really don't advise washing a motor. I mean, back yeah. in the '60s, we used to do it, but again, all you had then was a distributor and an alternator. But now, there's so many electrical components under that hood. What kind of car are we talking about?
3: Yeah, it's an LS one engine. You got all kind of car packed. Man, the yeah, I yeah. I just wouldn't do
0: it, man. I mean, I would. If you want to clean it, you can. But like I said, get some solvent in a bucket, maybe a brush, and just get in there and clean it that way. You can be. So happy you did uh, down the road. And be careful. Don't get any, uh, you don't want to puddle any kind of solvent up anywhere. You won't just clean the grease off, wipe it clean, and go from area to area. Even if you make it a project like, hey, this week I'm going to clean this area. Next week I'm going to clean this area. Next week. And it may take you a month and a half, two months. Yeah, you know, does it doesn't matter. Uh, if you can yeah. prevent the problems, you'll eventually get it nice and clean. And I think that would be a much, much better plan for you.
3: Yeah, it's a real clean car. And I just hate to have a dirty engine. Oh, I understand. Yes, yes, sir. Car's I won't have to clean it all, but, yeah. but like you said, doesn't that's for the way to do it, I'm just going to have to take my time and do it that way.
0: That's what most of the guys I know that do that. It may take them six months to get that engine clean because nobody wants to sit there and spend two days rubbing and scrubbing on an old engine. It's <laughs> no. not a real not a real fun way to spend a weekend, but if you just break it down in a little small sections, like, hey, today I'm going to clean the valve covers. Next weekend I'm going to clean the intake manifold. So on and as forth as that. And just keep narrowing in on small parts of it. You know, stuff like the ignition calls, if they're all greasy, on, you could take them out, wipe them clean with a towel, put them back in. That sort of thing. That's going to be a much, much safer approach.
3: Okay, hey, I'm just going to have to go with that route, then because uh-huh. I don't want to damage my engine. Yeah, you
0: don't want to end up with all kinds of problems. And it's bad enough when you can't get started you got to it somewhere and start it. But it's even worse when it gets into a connection somewhere and gives you an intermittent problem that nobody can find.
3: Right. I so sure appreciate that, man. Right, man. I'll go that, right, that route on it, and see if I take my time and get it cleaned up. Yeah, I think that'd be
0: a good idea.
3: All right, I appreciate advice, right, man. Thanks for
0: calling, man. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is a number. You want to be part of the automotive arm? Maybe it can help prevent a problem for you.
1: There you go. You kind of learned that little lesson when I was doing body work. Mm-hmm. Take a section of the car. Don't right. try to do the whole car right. at one time. Take a section. Do one section at a time. Get it done and finish, and then move to another section. Right. And it works out a whole lot easier. To do it that way. Well,
0: the human mind is such that if it's given too big of a challenge, it tends to just say uh, it give up. Right. It's just Overwhelming. If you got a, yeah, you get overwhelmed when you have an insurmountable challenge. And if you got just this big, huge, nasty mess, and every day you're going in there and you're working, 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 you, work work work, you go fatigue and you get tired. Exactly. But if you're making a project and say, okay, today I'm going to do this, then each time you clean one little spot, you get a gratification, you get sure. a reward. So it gives you the incentive to keep going on and on and on. And exactly. Most things are that way. It's kind of like the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One, <laughs> one piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to phone lines. we got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Hey,
3: Lou. My son has a 97 Dodge 1500 360 four-wheel drive automatic. I don't know if that matters. It doesn't crank always on the first crank, but it always starts on the second crank
1: okay now you mentioned two different procedures there you said start and then you said crank okay
0: it doesn't always start doesn't always start but it cranks over yang yeah 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 but just won't start Yes.
3: okay Okay. all right great yeah we changed the fuel pressure regulator already uh yeah what what i would
0: do chris before you change any other part is very very simple test called a fuel pressure test and people screw a gauge on they read the pressure say okay i did a fuel pressure test well that's one part of a fuel pressure test But there's far, far, far more things that could go with it. For instance, put a fuel pressure gauge on it, turn the key on, let it charge up, then turn it off and see how fast the fuel pressure degrades. Now, if the fuel pressure drops off almost right away, in other words, within 10 or 15 seconds, it goes to near zero, then the fuel pump check valve is leaking, and that will certainly cause that problem. Now, another thing you can gain from that, let's say you turn the key off and the fuel pressure starts to rise. Okay, well, what does that mean? That means we've got too much volatility in the fuel, and it could be that something's getting hot, the fuel is boiling in the fuel rail, it'll make the pressure rise, but then the fuel is not a fluid force, it's a vapor. So the car is going to take a while to crank until it pushes it all out. So what I'm saying, these one little test can tell you all these kinds of things. Now, let's say you've got perfect fuel pressure, it does not drop off. Well, forget the fuel system; it's not that. And there are other things that can do that as well. I mean, something like a crank sensor—that's just a hair off. On and on and on and on. But the point is, if you don't have a direction to go in, if you say, "Well, could it be this?" Well, yeah, yeah, it could be all kind of stuff. I could tell you probably ten things it could be, and each one of them is probably three hundred bucks. So, I mean, do you want to spend three grand on maybes or do a little bit of testing? See, so you're going to yeah. need to get this to the guy who can do a fuel pressure test. And if he just says, yeah, I fuel pressure, it's okay, you hit the wrong guy. Because there's lots, lots more information to be gained, gained from at that, that point. fuel pressure test right. doing it properly. A proper fuel pressure test is going to point you in the right direction. And it'll tell you if it's a fuel problem, an ignition problem, or something else. I mean, I've even seen where I have a vehicle and the valves are sticking in the guides for whatever reason. Maybe the engine's carboned up. And so when it spins over the first time, it doesn't have enough compression to start, so it just spins over. The moving up and down frees them up, and it starts working fine. You run some upper-end cleaner through it, and you can cure the problem that way. So, again, I could tell you all kinds of things it could be, but without having some information to know what direction we're going in, we're just wasting money.
3: Okay. All uh, Can I ask another question? You, you Go ahead. Neighbor has Jeep Wrangler, 4-liter mm-hmm. automatic. You've got a rear main seal leak, so mm-hmm. it's not that bad, maybe a drop a week. Is that something you even need to address or just?
0: What uh, year model is it,
3: Chris? I think it's an 04, 05. A newer one.
0: You just have to weigh out how much this bothers you. I tell people all the time, sometimes the fix is worse than the problem. I mean, if you've got a million-dollar home with a beautiful snow-white driveway and this all is just giving you the blues, well, yeah, you probably need to fix it. If you're like the average person and you can throw some newspaper in the car and it really doesn't bother you that much anyway – yeah, that's a lot of money, and unless it gets a lot worse, I wouldn't spend money on it.
3: That's kind of what I told him too. Mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> now,
0: sometimes the, the cure is worse than the disease, you know? <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> All
3: right, well, thanks for the scoop on the Dodge. Okay, Chris. All right, have a good one. Thanks, man. Thanks,
0: Bye-bye. Uh, All right, we're going right back to our phone lines with CJ. Good morning, CJ. Uh, good
5: morning. How are you, fellas? I'm good, a long-time great. listener. Well, thank you. And what I have is a hand-me-up vehicle from my son. Okay, it's a 2001 Toyota Tacoma. Okay, it it has a an extended cab, two door, but it the cab is. But yes, anyway, sir. it right. it has a four-cylinder engine. Okay. in it, and he was telling me, I was saying all the good gas mileage he should get, and he said, "Well, it's not that good." So, uh, last week, <laughs> I I checked the gas mileage mm-hmm. from an a full tank to an empty tank, and right. I filled it up again, mm-hmm. and it was only getting about 19 miles to a gallon. Yeah, that's
0: about right. Yeah. That's about what they get. And so, if you look at almost any pickup truck, they're just not going to get the mileage that a car gets just because they're not nearly as aerodynamic. A pickup truck is like trying to push a brick down the road. So it's not going to get the mileage that a car gets. Not only that, but... Pickup trucks are generally geared down more, so the motor turns faster, and they just don't get all the cool stuff that the cars get.
1: Well, and not only that, you're trying to move a certain amount of weight with a four-cylinder, whereas if you were moving it with a six-cylinder, you wouldn't have to be getting down on that four-cylinder as hard to get it to roll, to move that much weight. The fours don't
0: get a lot better gas mileage than the sixes do. Under certain conditions, they may, but that's about what they get, somewhere around 19. And I guess that's really not too bad for a pickup truck. I mean, when you consider most... Ford pickup trucks probably get 12, to 13, right. you know, 19 is not that bad. It's such a small truck. The only yeah. thing is, is that
5: the reason why I was wondering, is there a problem here mm-hmm. is because I have a 2001 Dodge Durango, right. and it get almost the same gas
0: mileage. Yeah, it will. It will. I mean, that's just about what they're going to get, and that's just the efficiency. Of the it takes a certain amount of energy, and energy is gasoline, well, to move a certain amount of weight a certain distance at a certain speed. Now mm-hmm. to change that you either have to reduce the weight, reduce the speed, or reduce the distance. I mean it's just physics. You know you right. can't. There's nothing you're going to do with the design of the engine. That's about what they get. Well, the only
5: weight I can reduce is my weight. i the <laughs> only one that did that. That's it. <laughs> about it. <laughs> Maybe now, I have to have a New Year's resolution here.
2: There you go. <laughs> well,
5: like, I appreciate the answer. I, being that you know that's your business, you would know that oh, yeah. would be correct. Yeah, that's
0: about the correct. Now. I, you know, all that being said, if you go on my website and type in the word fuel mileage, there's several articles on there about increasing fuel mileage. I mean, by driving style, there are some things you could do to get a little better mileage with it. The slower you race the motor, if you watch the tachometer and start trying to shift before it gets to 1,500 RPM, that sort of thing, You know, don't race it up, don't push it hard, don't let it idle excessively. I mean, there are things you can do, let it coast whenever you can. You could probably get that up another two or three miles per gallon. But you're not going to make, you're not ever going to get it to 25. It's just not in it. You know, it's just not designed into that vehicle.
5: Right. Well, like, I guess you're right, because my other son has a uh, Corolla, Toyota Corolla, mm-hmm. and he gets around 30 miles to a Right, but that. again, that's a the much car.
0: more aerodynamic car. It's got yeah. quick take-up calipers where it rolls easier. It's designed for a different purpose. It's a right. commuter vehicle. It doesn't ever have to carry a load. And even though you're not carrying a load, the truck's still designed to carry a load. So I all those you. things are in there.
5: Well, thank you, fellas. You, I right. uh, enjoy your program, and you're very informative. Well, thank, thank you, you, CJ. And and have a good day. Awesome. You too. Yes, sir.
0: Okay, thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to park Automotive, we'd love to have you. James, if you hold on, you'll be straight up after this break. Hi, folks. Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year, we celebrate 40 years in business, and, man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries.
3: Lewis, it's the Governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back.
5: Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40
0: years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> Hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my Tigers. you up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you're joining us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Alders, and with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call, it's 291-6901, and we've got James on the line. James, thanks for holding.
4: My pleasure. I have an 06 tire hole that uh, on the two rear doors and the lift gate in the back, starting to have actuator problems. Okay. What's the story on that?
0: They have a lot of trouble with that, James. All the actuators on all the GM cars... Seem to have a lot of trouble when I say a lot of trouble. By the time they get to 80, 90,000 miles, they start going out one at a time. And we normally the left front driver's door goes out first because used the most, but not always. And you change it, and then of course the left rear goes out, the right rear the tailgate, or whatever. It's just a little old motor that pulls that thing up and down. It's right. convenient, but. What is it actually doing, James? It
4: will not lock. Sometimes they unlock, but they will click and everything. Yeah, but I didn't know
0: if it was, it's uh, getting weak. If
4: it's a way to lube them? Or-
0: no, no. No, it's a sealed up. Not a magnet or anything that pulls up and down. It's a stepper motor, and it turns up and down, and is fed by a pulse width modulated signal. And being a pulse width modulated motor, it can get weak. And there's it doesn't have to go out. It's not a zero one type thing. It can just get weak and it can't pull that thing down enough to release it. So it may come on and run, but it can't do the job, so then it just gives up. Your computer shuts it down, so it just doesn't work. Next time you hit it, it may work, and sometimes it'll partially work. So that's why they give you that intermittent type of thing. It used to be back in the day it was a solenoid, and it would just Mm -hmm. suck it down. Well, this Mm -hmm. is not that. This is a little motor that cranks up and down, and like I said, it's very problematic kind of expensive, too, if I'm not mistaken.
4: Yeah. Well, when you change them out, do you need to lube your linkage or anything? Or You
0: can put a little drop of lube on the contact points. doesn't hurt anything. Don't get too crazy with it. It'll start dripping in there and getting on your glass and all make a big old mess. doesn't require a whole lot of lubrication. But right. just a little dab of something like poly lube or something on the contact points doesn't hurt. But you just got to pull that rear panel and stuff off getting there. Some of them are riveted intake, You got to drill the rivets out and you have a rivet gun to put it back in because there's not enough room for a bolt. You know,
4: they do offer a separate item, the actuator itself. Is that worth fooling with, or you just change a complete assembly?
0: Most of the time, we find if you change just the actuator, the lock itself, or the latch itself, ends up going out shortly thereafter, and you're back in there doing it all again. A lot of times, too, what happens the old latch gets all stiff and worn, and the actuator's having to pull too far, and that's what makes it go out. I like to change the whole thing. Unless money's a real issue, we'll, we will change just an actuator and see. But you got to explain to the customer, hey, we'll be right. back in here in a couple of months, you know.
4: Okay, I'm going to go with everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're doing it yourself, it's not going to cost you that much anyway. I'd probably just go ahead and change the whole deal.
4: Yeah, they're not about, about 200 a piece.
0: Right, and you could probably pay 100 for an actuator, so.
4: Yeah, it's uh something but yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean it's, if money was really critical but that's that's no problem. I yeah. thing, just wanting to find out what I'm getting into for Well Dad, into... you
0: don't wanna end up with having to go back in there. No, your, your time's probably worth more than the money if, if you like me. Right.
1: Okay, appreciate your help, all
0: right James, thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine oh one is the number. You only to part of the automotive hour?
1: You know you talking about those actuators were riveted in the door. That's not the regular little bitty quarter inch, eight inch rivets you're no. talking about. Now no. these, these are on upwards of quarter inch, quarter inch, inch rivets. Right. They take a special gun to pull them in.
0: Right, a little pop rivet gun won't do it. No, yet. this
1: is a big handle, almost looks like a pair of shears. Yeah. That big that that size that pulls those rivets in and mm-hmm. out of um into the doors right. of and, those vehicles. Uh,
0: if you don't have one, you may be able to rent one somewhere because they're kind of expensive. I believe the last ones we bought, they were three or four hundred dollars for that tool. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've had it for years and it's popped a lot of rivets, but.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't get used every day. You know. And it get used you can't every- just justify going out and spending $300 to pull three rivets.
0: Right, exactly. And a lot, I've seen a lot of people will try to put a bolt back sure. in place and sure. the end of that bolt ends up sticking out, hitting the glass, breaking the glass. <laughs> now it costs $1,000. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or jams into the door panel when you put it back on That's or something like right. that. Nature. If
0: you use the wrong kind of rivet, some of those go through, like the, the ones on your door, on your windows especially, the window regulator uh-huh. uh, rivets. Sometimes they go through the glass, and they're right. trying to pop off at a certain tension. And if you get the wrong rivet, like if you don't go back to the OEM and buy that rivet, you just go buy a steel rivet. Sure. It when may you pull in and crack the glass.
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen several of those door glasses explode. That's right. Because of that rivet was the wrong one, and when it got pulled in, it... A little too tight. It pulled too tight, and instead of just cracking the glass, it shattered the glass, mm-hmm. and then the whole glass drops out. Yeah, and
0: turns into diamonds. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> it makes a mess. It sure does. We were talking just a little bit about the weather and stuff. And, of course, it's been a lot of rain in the last month. Not not so much out in California, but all up through the Ohio Valley and all that. And all that rain tends to turn into water and go down the Mississippi River, which ends up down here. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) This is where you're geologically located. That's right. And all of our levees are just about at the tops right now. There's this region of the country, a lot of, when the river rises, it goes to flood stage. And since we can't allow it to flood, flood all our cities, we've built a series of levees along the river, which contains it. Mm-hmm. But when it gets too high up on the levee, it can start to breach the levee. Sure. So what the Army Corps of Engineers has ingeniously done is come in and put in a series of floodgates. And we call them spillways. Uh-huh. And there's at least three in this region that I know of. You've got the old river structure, you've got the Morganza structure, and you got the Bonacari Right. structure. And they can take these big wooden timbers, block the flow of water, and they can pull them out one at a time. And I think they said, I think Bonacary has 7,000 Something like that. pins yeah. in it that they can remove one or 7,000, and it starts diverting the water. Right. And it diverts it. In the case of the Bonacary, it diverts it into Lake Pontchartrain. Chafalaya, it goes through the Chafalaya Basin to the Chafalaya River, I think you said to the, to the Gulf right. eventually. Right. But these are the ways we control all that water you guys send to us. <laughs> Not bitter about that or anything. I'm just telling you. But I went over the Bonacare this morning, and some of it is open. And, I mean, it's quite a sight to look down and see just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres underwater.
1: Right, because most of that expressway right there, when you look out, when it's dry, you can see grass and land right, and right. stuff like that. And I, was, I was telling the kids the other day, we came back from New Orleans. hmm all that used to be underwater. That's right. It used to stay underwater yeah. year-round. Yeah. And now that we've...
0: The last several years has been relatively dry. It so has. They haven't had to utilize this thing, but now they have. And the guy was telling me God, how the, a portion that they removed was one and a half million cubic feet of water a second. Right. That's just one little, one little section, section they take <laughs> out. Right. So it's something to see. But anyway, we're talking about rain and all that sort of stuff. And, of course, it's raining quite a bit here. When you start to get into rain, you know, it's not really much of a problem unless two things happen. One is you need to go somewhere, and two is it's raining. Exactly. Now, all of a sudden, things like your windshield wipers become very, very critical to you.
1: Sure. You don't even think about them. Every morning you get in the vehicle, you look out the windshield, you see them, and that's the last you think of that's them. right. Until it rains.
0: And when it rains, then if they're wiping up and down and the rubber's hanging off of them and they're streaking and all that, that's going to be very unpleasant. Because I'm coming across the 12-mile bridge, and, of course, I think speed limit is 60 there, but the rest of it will say 70. I'm driving 70 miles an hour, and my wipers are going, and I can see just fine. Uh-huh. But when you've got worn blades, that's not going to be the case. You're going to have a smear, smudgy look, and that can lead to accidents like we saw plenty of.
1: We did. Saw plenty of them coming in this morning.
0: Now, another thing is the wipers themselves. People don't give a lot of thought to the windshield wiper, and, there is a windshield wiper motor. Right. But the motor turns round and round in a circle.
1: Right. It's, it's a regular motor. It turns just, motor, just like a motor does. It goes round
0: and round, and the wipers oscillate back and forth. Exactly. So there is a component or components called a transmission, a wiper transmission, which converts the round to round motion into the back and forth motion of the wipers. Sure. And all those sorts of things can fail in time. Now, one of the signs of that getting ready to fail is normally you'll turn your wipers on and either you'll hear like a knocking noise when they're white, right. or they'll start wiping further than they used to wipe. They may go all the way off the edge of the windshield or slam down at the bottom of the windshield. Right. When you see that, that is a problem. That's not something, I know it's working right now per se, and you could probably even get an inspection sticker because sure. they turn them on, they do they wipe, go back and it. forth and that's all they check. But it is in your best interest when you start to see these symptoms to go ahead, have that looked at, or repair it yourself. Sure, because the time you're going
1: to need them, they're going to quit working.
0: You're going to need these wipers at the absolute worst possible time not to have these wipers. That's right. When you're sitting on the side of the interstate and everybody's buzzing by you. And-
1: if you're lucky, you're sitting on the side of the interstate yeah. and everybody's flying by you. Yeah, that's because right. Because they go out while you're driving 70 miles an hour and they're yeah. driving rainstorm. You can't see.
0: You can't see a thing. Yeah, you've got to have your wipers. So. You want and to just kind of check for those kinds of things. Not a bad idea just to go out when it's not raining. Maybe get a garden hose, squirt some water in there, wipe them back and forth, see how they're working.
1: Sure. And, and it's something else that, that you should be checking for is cracks in the windshield. Right. Rock chips, cracks, anything that that blade crosses right. is going to tear the, the surface of it cut up. cut
0: the rubber on the blade and drastically shorten life. I had a gentleman who came in not too long ago. He says, man, I keep changing wiper blades, I keep changing wiper blades. And they, I said, well, none of them hold up. Like the like original they ones should. did. Yeah, they, none of them do. But if you're excessively using you need to look at the windshield. And he brought it in, and sure enough, it had a crack running all the way across it. Uh-huh. And I said, if you run your finger very gently across this crack. You can feel it. You can feel it. And that blade comes across it, and it cuts that rubber. That's right. So we called the windshield company. They put a new windshield in, put a new set of blades, and that fixed his problem. Now he's getting decent life. Also, a lot of the newer cars come with a different type of wiper blade. It's not like the old blades with that we used to use. Right.
1: It's what they call a mono beam.
0: Yeah, it's a mono beam rather than the regular arm with the springs and all that stuff. Right. And some of those can be pretty shockingly expensive. Yeah. Put a set on some kind of car the other day. I don't recall what it was, but they were dealer item only. You couldn't get them aftermarket. It was a
1: Chevy truck, wasn't it?
0: I don't. Recall. I know when they, I
1: know when they first came out on the Chevy trucks, you couldn't get them but from the dealer.
0: Yeah, and they were probably thirty, forty dollars per blade. Right. I mean, they were real expensive, but of course, what's it worth to see? <laughs> <laughs> you got to see. Not only do wipers go out and just quit working, sometimes they'll go out in a way where you turn them off and, and they keep, they keep run running. Park. They keep running. Right. And when I've seen they that should. happen, and very often for whatever reason, people want to change the wiper switch, mm-hmm. and that is hardly ever going to be the problem with that it's
1: usually the board inside of the wiper motor itself right. that causes that park problem
0: mechanism of whatever kind ford uses a park relay uh-huh. and sometimes that relay may stick or go bad which the wipers will work all the time or not work at all GM has a board inside the motor. Toyota's the same way. Which we don't see a lot of problem with Toyota wipers. There
1: was a time there when the GM cars, back in the mid '90s, right, they had a, board, had a bad board, bad,
0: and when it would rain, it quit working. Sure, they worked fine when it was dry. Yeah,
1: started <laughs> <laughs> started raining, they quit and working. They had, had to a recall the board on that, out.
0: and they would fix it for you for free. I'm sure that's ended by I'm now. Sure. But the point is, you want to not wait until you're in a driving rainstorm to address your windshield wipers exactly that's one of those things you want to check now make sure they're working properly and that way when you do get in a storm like i did this morning you'll have you turn them. your wipers on and they work just fine there you go hey we're gonna take one last quick little break and be right back with more on the automotive hour. hi it's lewis aldizan from agco automotive It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide.
5: Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. 40 years is nothing to sneeze at. (laughs)
0: Ho, ho, ho. Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. you join us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Alderson. This is the final section, but we still have plenty of time to get your questions answered. Got that, Mr. Brian Terry right here on co-pilot seat.
1: That we do. If you want to give us a call, And catch the last few minutes we got. The phone number is 291-6901, and you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from
0: anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. It's right there. All you got to do is reach out and grab it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) We got it open and ready for you. So give us a call. we will try to help you out. We're talking about rain and such as that. Uh You know, one of the things, I had a lady that came to me a while back, and she says, something is wrong with my brakes. Okay. I said, okay, describe it to me. She says, well, whenever it rains, the car just won't stop. Okay. And I said, well, that's not a typical brake problem because the brakes are the same whether it's raining or not. Tell me, what does it do? She says, well, it just doesn't stop. I said, no, no, what does it do? She says, well, it feels like it's sliding. Then sometimes the pedal start vibrating, and the pedal drop and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, it sounds like it's going into anti-lock brake mode. Right. Well, why does it do that? I said, well, that may be normal. Let's take a look at the car. And she had four slick tires on the car. Sure. So I told her, I said, well, you don't have a brake problem. You've got a tire problem. She says, oh, how could that be? I said, I well, can- ma'am, I said, the brakes stop the wheel, but the tire stops the car. Exactly. <laughs> we exactly. Have, when the wheel stops, that has to be transferred to the road surface to stop the inertia of that weight moving down the road. And if the tire does not have the proper tread, the reason you have those little sipes, which is the name of the grooves in a tire, okay. is that it funnels the water out from under the tread. Because if you just start rolling a slick tire on water, what's going to happen is it's going to rise up and ride on the top of what's riding on a film of water. So you're losing traction. That's called hydroplaning. Correct. Now, that can happen even with good tires if you've got enough water on the road. But the odds of that happening with a worn tire are extremely more likely. Sure, and that's why every expert says tires are worn out when they get to two thirty seconds rubber remaining. Now, two thirty seconds is about a sixteenth of an inch of rubber. Uh-huh. So they're not tread bare, they're not blue air yet. But you're not supposed to push your tires until they're completely worn out. When they get to that level of tread they're no longer going to dissipate the water under the tread so when you're driving like i am this morning 70 miles an hour or rainy rainy road your odds of slipping around and slamming into that guardrail are about a thousand times higher well
1: hence all the wrecks that happened this morning That's right. you know, there's four of them between here and new Orleans.
0: and i didn't get out and look at the tires on the cars but i'll I'm bet sure. you at least one or two of them well, probably you know, had slick tires on i them. was
1: gonna say they had their hydroplane to get out there
0: now all that being said another i guess convention that's out there sort of an urban legend and that is the better tires should be on the front of your car mm-hmm. and that is totally false the better tires the new tires when you put only two tires which is probably not a good idea right you should be part. using
1: four but if you happen to have if you happen
0: let's say two tires wear out prematurely the other two are still good the new tires go on the rear of the car correct not on the front because when the rear of a car starts to slide a hydroplane You will lose control of that vehicle. The front of the car, you can control to a certain degree with the steering wheel.
1: Right. You still have one tire that's still aired up and the other one's flat, but you do have steering control on the front.
0: That's right. And not only that, but you've got a lot more weight generally on the front of the car, so it's going to automatically have more traction. And that may sound counterintuitive to people who've always put the new tires on the front. Right. But think about a forklift. How can a forklift turn so sharply? Because the back wheels turn. The back wheels turn. And that when you turn those back wheels a very slight number of degrees, that car is going to sure. start to respond real drastically. So when you put two new tires, the new tires go on the rear. Mm-hmm. Now, I generally like to put four new tires whenever I can. Sure. If I've got four tires that a worn and two are still kind of serviceable, just go ahead and bite the bullet and put four tires on the car. Right. Because you're going to be much, much better off. I mean, if money is just an absolute, I and you cannot afford to do it right now, put the two new ones on the back, put the two best ones. best ones on the front, and then when you can afford two more tires, do exactly the same. Move the back to the front, put the new ones on the back again. Correct. And that is much, much safer, even though it may sound counterintuitive to a lot of people. Well, and I
1: think a lot of that came with the tires were so cheap back then, you couldn't depend on them to drive straight. hmm And if they ended up on the front, you had a pull or something of that nature. So they always wanted to put them on the the back, put the new ones on the front. You may
0: still end up with that. It may not drive properly with the tires off the back. But you just have to – that's a separate problem. That's a totally separate issue from what we're talking about. No 100% all-the-time going to be case. We've had times where a guy had two almost new tires on the rear of the car. You rotate them to the front, it starts pulling real hard. Sure. Or starts vibrating or whatever. Well, he's just not going to buy four tires. So he puts those back on the back, puts the new ones on the front. And that's just the fact of life. That's just what he has to do. In this case, he can't afford four tires. Well, that's the best he can do. Exactly. But know that when you put the new tires on the front, you're going to make the car inherently less stable. Michelin has got a really good video. In fact, if you go to my website and just search for two tires, okay. it'll bring up a copy of this video. And they take two identical cars on a closed court, certain amount of water on the road, two mm-hmm. professional drivers one with new tires on the front, one with new tires on the rear and go around this track and every single time the one with the tires on the front spins out, the one's on the rear go safely around the curve. Correct. So kind of really brings that point home. So something you might want to take a look at. But tires are not only you just you can't just look at them all the time and tell another big big factor that we see with tires all the time. Folks will come into the shop and this happens a lot with people who have cars that don't drive a lot. Right. And you look at the production date on the tire, and the tires are 7, 8 years old.
1: I had a set come in the other day that were 10 years old. We
0: had one, we had one tire on a little Toyota Friday, excuse me, Thursday at 15 years old. Wow. They had put the spare. Onto the car. Onto the car. Mm-hmm. Extremely, extremely, extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. Yes. A 15-year-old tire is not safe. I don't care how much rubber has got on it. That's not the point. The glues and the stuff that holds it together, the belts, are... fail over time. And that tire will come apart unexpectedly, particularly on the rear of the car, because just like we talked about before, a mishap on the rear of the car is going to be far more devastating than one on the front of the car. Exactly.
1: Tires are, are like that. I mean, I don't like rotating a, a spare into the rotation of the tires. No, I don't either. I would just rather go ahead and leave it in the trunk and use it to get from point A to point B it's that a, I need it. It's a spare. It's a spare. It's understood as a spare. It gets you from where the tire went flat to where you can get a new tire. Get serviced. And I don't like to take them out of the, the trunk, even if they're brand new. You end up five, six years down the road, hey, i am take this tire out of the trunk, right? And get in the same situation end you spoke, spoke old about tire
0: on the on the vehicle. I remember reading there was a lady in Texas that had a Ford Explorer, and she goes to a tire dealer and she takes the spare which has never been used, puts right. it on the vehicle with three other new tires to match it, takes off down the road, and I not a week or two later, the spare fails flips the car over, breaks her neck, and now she's a quadriplegic for life. It's right. tragic. Horrible, horrible thing.
1: Could have been avoided. By- Could
0: have been avoided had someone told her, no, you can't do that. Sure. And pretty sizable lawsuit ensued. And, and- you know, like so many things in, in the country today, that's the way they resolve. But the point is, no amount of money in the world is going to bring your life back to you.
1: Right. And a lot of your vehicles now don't have a full-size spare. Yep. Some still do. But most and of your vehicles don't. That
0: brings up another great point. That little temporary spare is exactly that. Is a, a temporary, temporary spare. Correct. Most of them are designed for 45 miles per hour or less and for about 10 to 15 miles or less. Sure. I've seen folks going down the interstate with a temporary spare. <laughs> I Se- saw 70 a car, miles an hour. <laughs> I saw
1: a car with two on it the other day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> guess what? Yeah. <laughs> not something you really want to do. No. Hey, you want to start winding the show on up, getting on out of here, tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd
1: like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and give us a written rating if it's available. Yeah, if you give us a written review, that'll move
0: us up so that more people can hear us and that way we can keep doing the show. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.